Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, episode 76. We sit down with Paul Putera um, from out east. He's a mountain hunter, been a uh, beast member for a really long time, full of knowledge. Man, we dropped some good stuff on this episode. You're gonna really going to like it. It's going to be applicable for a whole lot of types of hunting, not just necessarily mountainous hunting. Before we get into the episode, if you guys could, make sure you write a review for us on whatever platform you are listening to this on. Also, go over to our YouTube channel and check all that great information out over there. Give us a subscribe and hit that like button on some of the videos you watch. That helps us out a lot. It's a great way to support the channel. I have my Teespring store linked down in the description of this video below. You can get on there and buy some merch if you want to and that's it all right let's get right into the episode <laughs> Dan I, enough, I, think I, can, I can see paul in there <laughs> uh, welcome to the show everybody hope everybody's having a good week this week how's hey, everybody doing ah pretty good you've been out and about any of this week yet scouting no, no, there's snow on the ground and crap. And yeah, everybody's complaining about that up there. Yeah, I uh, I didn't show you this yet because I wanted to save your another one. It's from uh, it's from last year though, it's not from this year, it's a 2020. So. Yeah, so that means you're slacking last year. I know it. I haven't been to this spot. I didn't, I mean, obviously I didn't walk through it, but it was in a thermal hub just laying down there. Mm. I found this one like, you know, big as day. It was just, it was just tines up. You could see him from a mile away. Um, and then this one, I, I walked down the trail probably 60 more yards and it was laying there. Um, about walked past it though. But well, if it's still alive, it should be a pretty good one by now. Oh man, it'll be a giant if it's around. later. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a big one. Uh, we'll see though. Um, it has a kicker coming off the back too of the one that's right. Uh, little kicker going off there. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, it's bigger this year, but I don't know. We'll see. It's in a spot that I kind of didn't think there'd be much there, honestly, because it's pretty close to a parking spot, but um, kind of surprised me. I was walking back to the truck to kind of kind of quick stepping it back to the truck and i looked over i'm like oh crap there's a big antler laying right there um so no, it's kind it was of, all close to it yeah it was it was just down the, the, the trail and back into the hub towards the bedding points mm. but after i looked at the that spot um i went up into those points where the you know it came down to the hub and it was like pretty pretty perfect i mean there was lots lots of layovers a whole bunch of green briar and stuff so i was like oh that's probably why he's here um, really kind of thick areas that sometimes that you lack in the hill country, but all I did was I kind of just sat around and thought about what I'll talk about in a seminar. I think I'm going to talk about cats, <laughs> cats, cats yeah. and raccoons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. Wear that cat shirt. Your daughter got you for Christmas and just talk about cats the whole time. I wear my cat pants. You can kind of see through them though. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're made for women. Huh? Oh, well, <laughs> Oh no, we better just talk about deer hunting. All right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I think people rather me talk about deer hunting. I just like talking about cats and raccoons. Yep. 
if anybody's coming to the Columbus show uh, this weekend, that's where me and Dan are going to be at. That's where we're talking about those seminars and all that information is linked below. If you guys want to check that out. Um, anyway, I kind of wanted to, I got to quit saying anyway, I say that all the time. It drives me crazy. It drives people. Anywho. Other, anywho, anywho. Drives it. Drives other people crazy too, according to the comments. So, uh, anywho is a cool word. I invented that. Yeah. I, I was, I was told or I read that you got to get comfortable with like silence. Usually I say that stuff because I'm like, you're thinking about your next thought and it's just like a tick you have where you say something stupid instead of just being <laughs> quiet. Just, just, just be quiet for a second. It's okay. You know, um, must be my, my nervous tick. Um, anywho, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did that one. I did that one. I did that one on purpose. Uh, um, so this is kind of going to be a continuation of what we were talking about last week of about different terrains and how to hunt them. And I kind of added one this week, honestly, a mountain mountain terrain. And we have uh, Paul Patera, who's uh, been on the hunting beast forum for a, a long time. I think his I think his name was Ghost Hunter on the on the forum. If anybody's on there and remembers remembers that. Uh, but he, he's an Eastern guy that hunts a bunch of mountain terrain. And we figured we'd get him on to talk about that. Have you hunted much mountain stuff like mountainous stuff, Dan? Uh, not really. Um, I hunted mountains in uh, Pennsylvania on the public land challenge, but I was kind of uh, a little let down by what they call mountains out there. It's kind of like our hill country. Okay. You know, when you get out to uh, far Western Wisconsin, our hills are like what they're calling mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of stuff Paul uh, will talk about. To do with the elevation, but it was, it was no different. It was, okay. it was the, the big difference was the mountain laurel and stuff like that. So vegetation was different. That created some different bedding and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, overall, I was surprised at how similar it was in Pennsylvania. I would imagine if you get into um, that or real mountains, like yeah. the rock and, and snow and stuff, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested in hearing what uh, Paul has to say too. Well, let's let's bring him on. He so lives and to... breathes that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yo, how we doing? <laughs> good. How's, how's Paul doing? Pretty good. Good, good, good. Uh, we uh, hopefully your your connection stays good. We lost you once before the the, the show, but yeah. I think we'll be all right. Snow's coming down pretty good outside, so yeah. Mm. yeah well i got something in my head uh if, if we lose jimmy and daniel got we got something else to talk about i thought we'd be talking about idea. cats <laughs> 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 yep we could oh paul uh if, if in case people don't kind of know you could you give give a background of like who you are and the type of area you hunt well i'm from uh northern new jersey and then uh I grew up hunting uh, northern New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and then New York. So I've been hunting there. I hunt uh, Catskill Mountains in New York. I hunt up in the Adirondacks as a kid growing up a lot. And then I hunt a lot around here, Pennsylvania. There's thousands and thousands of acres of public land over there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like right in the heart of all the public land around me. Gotcha. Like completely surrounded. My so my you, backyard's public, so. Gotcha. That's cool. Um, so you you can hunt like those states up there. You're you're pretty close to all those then. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with I'm within like three hours of the Adirondacks, two and a half of the Catskills, and then Pennsylvania is in New Jersey. I'm surrounded. Gotcha. So any anything within an hour of me is public land. That's um, nice. That's how I am a little bit in Indiana. I got the biggest forest in Indiana right down the road from me. So it's pretty convenient. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, me and Dan, neither one had talked about or know much about mountain hunting per se, or have hunted much mountain. So we wanted to get you on and talk about it. And I've also seen you post a whole bunch on the beast and stuff and just seem like you're very knowledgeable and have some interesting, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to call them opinions, just interesting ways of going about things. Um, I thought you perfect candidate to get on here and talk about mountain hunting. Nope. Sounds good to me. Does, does, uh, did you, could you hear what Dan was saying before we started about Pennsylvania not being as mountainous as what he was hoping? Yeah. That, that's the, uh, the Western portion of Pennsylvania too, I think. So mm-hmm. that the, the elevation isn't as much over there. As yeah. if you go over towards my side. So you're, you're higher up. Do you get, uh, real rocky at the top then and treeless or? Uh, the trees get really short. Mm-hmm. You know, they get. Mm-hmm. We're running, I think, right around two thousand foot elevation. Well, we've talked a lot about hill country on this show. What's it, like the biggest difference between hill country and mountain terrain in your mind, Paul? Um, I'm gonna say the there's layers going up. So mm-hmm. like, you you'll get multiple bedding at different elevations as you go up a lot more than like traditional hills are going to be lower because like a hill's like usually under a thousand foot yeah so you'll you'll get the upper one third more in the hills versus the mountain you can have those leeward ridges on multiple layers going up off the benches and stuff like that so it doesn't, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be all at one height and then like depending on temperatures and how wet droughts or something will change how they're they're like the height they're going to be using the hills at. Yeah. See, I've, I've heard other people that hunt mountains talk about that. Like you got to find what elevation they're going to be at. Mm -hmm. And I, and like me in Southern Indiana, you know, we have a lot of hills here and I've always like tried to like figure out what that meant for me hunting Southern Indiana, but it probably doesn't mean anything for me, you know? (laughs) And Um, you'll see the historical signs still like, like you, you get like on the upper one third on a mountain, you'll see the, the historical rub lines and you'll go up these mountains and you'll find elevation lines where you'll find that historical sign on, you know, and so be, it kind of tells you what layers are at. Gotcha. A lot. And so, so they will be on those particular layers, like at certain times of the year then. Yes. Yeah. Depending on food changes and stuff like that. You know, some some years there'll be acorns all on the top. Some years they'll only be on the bottom. Some years they'll only be mid elevation. Sometimes they're only on the northern sides of the mountains. Like if you get a lot of droughts and stuff, like when it's really dry, it seems like the northern sides of the mountains are what produce the most acorns because the, the the moisture level in the soil is a little higher there. Gotcha. So, you know, so they'll shift around like that. Yeah. Okay. That kind of clears things up for me because I was always kind of wondering what that actually actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I think to me one of the, one of the big things about uh, mountains versus hills is in hills it's usually one hill after another, and you have a variety of um, hills where you something's leeward. 
You, mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Where you can get into mountainous stuff and you can have a mountain that's obviously got deer on it all over the place. Yeah. That none of it's work. And they got to find ways to, to um, catch the wind off of there. And then you see them using a lot more of the um, points and the little uh, terrain holes in the, uh, yep. in the hill. Yeah. Um, yeah. You use that to get the swirl. You know, they'll, right. like right. a lot of the big bucks, like around me, they'll build. I got a lot of big bucks that are on the northern sides. It's like their favorite side to be on. They'll be like, they'll work the northern edge and then they'll work, like, use the east face so they can kind of rotate around it as the the sun comes up if they want to cool down they'll kind of work their way to the north side you know but they'll they usually focus around like drainages and stuff like that where you get that airflow coming up real real good and then they'll put themselves on a on a vantage point up there with the terrain like where they can get a good swirl yep you know and then you'll you, like you'll find that all the way up the whole drainage, you'll find different layers where they'll be bedding on that. Hmm. I would imagine they use that mountain laurel kind of like they use uh, a clear cut or something too. They mm-hmm. the edges, the little little openings in it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And on the northern faces, predominantly, that's where you see the mountain laurel growing. Oh, that's probably why you're seeing more deer on that side. Yeah, I think the cover, right? Does help. Yeah, the cover helps a lot with that. But I mean, you'll see does and stuff like if it's really cold in the wintertime, they'll go over and get on the southern side because they got to stay warm, mm-hmm. you know, so they'll get on that side of the mountain. Or if it's like if you get really crazy wind days, they're going to figure out a way to get out of the wind. Yeah. You know, it doesn't doesn't always necessarily mean they switch completely over, but like you'll yeah, find, find like find dips and drops where they can get underneath mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Okay. So, um, I guess kind of to start off, Paul, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff's going to be re- related to hill country, but, um, I kind of wanted to just pick your brain on like, how do you think like, of a guy, if, if myself was going to go out to the Adirondacks and I want to go kill a, a buck, like how, how would you start? And like, where would you start scouting and, and kind of start us from step one? Well, I, the Adirondacks is tough. Because it's it's all old growth forest. Okay. So you're not going to get a lot of a lot of changes. Like the tops, the tops are all pine in the Adirondacks. You know, and you get these huge mountains. I mean, it takes it takes me to climb like some of the mountains that I hunt out there, like 4,000 feet. Yeah. So I mean, you could take an hour. It could take you over an hour to get to the top. Yeah. From the bottom, you know, just to climb it. So like, but I I always look for something that's going to create changes in habitat in that, in those kind of mountains, you know? So you yeah, maybe, find- maybe, the, maybe the Adirondacks was a bad example because I've yeah. never been there, so I don't know, but just like a mount, mountainous terrain, I guess. Um, how, how would you tell someone to like start? Yeah. Well, if I was hunting like around, around Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Appalachian mountains, I would be, first off, I'd be looking for where the heck all the people are going. That's the first thing I would be doing because, I mean, you get a lot of pressure in Pennsylvania. I think it's 1,600 per square mile in Pennsylvania, and I think New Jersey's around 12. So you get a lot of hunting pressure. So mm-hmm. I I basically I drive around a lot, and I scout people more than I scout the deer half the time. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to figure out where people are going, 
where they're accessing from, how they're coming in. And then I kind of look at spots that they're possibly missing in that. And then I'll go from there. And then I usually try to do what whatever everybody else is doing. I try to do the complete opposite. So if they're all coming in from one direction, I'll be climbing over the mountain, coming over the top to get down into it or something. Just so because the deer are not used to that. They're not going to expect that. So you can usually get away with it a lot better, you know. And I, I just I try to find a good, clean route to get in there. And then I'm, I'm focusing on the terrain that's going to create that swirling wind in the habitat that I need to, to find them in. So like the laurel thickets, stuff like that. I look for because uh, we don't we don't have a lot of clear cuts around here, but we do have gypsy moth kills that came in and killed all the trees. And then we got the ash borers that are killing all the trees and stuff like that. And all those trees coming down and dying is such a blessing because it's creating uh, vegetation off the floor, you know, so we got a lot more browse coming up and stuff. So we're, you find a lot of this destruction from these uh, uh, pests and stuff is actually mm -hmm. beneficial for most of the wildlife. So you don't have much logging there? Not around here. No, it's it's all old growth. But I mean, a lot of the trees are four feet around. You know, big trees. Yeah. You yeah, it's bad habitat for deer. You got to yeah, probably work. And they can see it coming for miles. Yeah, I saw that where I hunted in Pennsylvania. I was like surprised I couldn't find much for logged areas at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a decent amount here in Southern Indiana, but nothing, not crazy amounts of yeah. clear cut. It's not like Southern Ohio. It seems like there's quite a bit of it. Yeah, the the, the Pennsylvania game lands, they do, uh, they're starting to do cuts and stuff on the, the game lands just for habitat reasons. Like they don't need it for logging, but they're doing it for habitat reasons. So that right. is, it's helping a lot. They're starting to create that, but it's also drawing a lot of people. So you get these cuts and they're, they don't, you think they're going to, the deer are going to be living in them, but they're actually the complete opposite. They're using them as a destination food source at, at night. So you get all these guys seeing all this sign and these clear cuts and they'll be hunting it. But in reality, these bucks leave after September and the season starts opening up in October. They start disappearing out of these cuts. Like they'll, they'll use them all summer and then they're gone. And then, They'll start using them heavy in the wintertime, but they're still traveling from the swamps and stuff like that back to the cuts or coming off the mountain ridges to get to them. Yeah. Like, I, I'll, I'll track bucks in the snow, and I'll follow them over a mile going one direction to go all, over the, all the way to these cuts. Yeah, and that's probably a good tip for anybody hunting anywhere. Like, if there's something that's obvious on the map, like a clear cut or something that's like, you know, a lot of times uh, it's obvious to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> if, it, if, it, if you got a nice clear cut off the side of the road, go on yeah. the other side of the road where there's nothing and it looks like yeah. crap. Yeah. It what are you going to say, It's pretty hard to hunt deer when they're in uh, open timber. Mm -hmm. They can put their eyes on you from a long ways. Yeah, it's tough. It's a Most of the, the deer taken around here are taken towards the rut. For that reason, because you just you can't get close enough to them in the early season. You know, I I have marshes and stuff that I hunt south of me. 
I got big marshes down there and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But we got hit with EHD three years in a row, and it pretty much wiped the deer herd out over there. So I, I kind of lost my early season spots for that in September because our season opens up September 10th. Mm. And then it runs all the way to the end of February. Yeah. We had the same thing in Indiana. I don't know. It's been quite a few years ago now, but we had a really bad streak of EHD a couple years in a row. And a lot of the people say that's the um, the reason Indiana's deer numbers are lower than other good Midwestern states. But um, Paul, you're talking about earlier about finding these swirly areas, swirling wind areas to hunt and where the, the bucks are, uh, you know, they, they typically find themselves there as well. How, how do you, uh, you have any tips on hunting those areas that are typically swirling winds? <laughs> you got to, some of these spots are, because they're almost impossible sometimes, especially if like, if you got the bucks on the tops, like, cause I'm on the Northern side or the Western face and these deer are coming down the mountain at night, you your predominant wind is blowing right up at them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline from the bottoms you yeah. know so it's it's tricky sometimes to even get an evening hunt on these deer on this on that side so a lot of times i'll have to physically find the big bucks bed and figure out how to get in there in the morning and get almost set up over it and shoot him when he's coming up you know so it's a lot of timing you got to wait because they don't they don't always just they, some they they kind of follow the thermals when they go up the bed. So, like you'll have a you'll have a big big uh, bowl or something or big drainage these bucks will bed in. They'll come up in the morning and they'll come up to like the first first set of beds and they'll bed on these beds. But then as the sun comes up, like they usually set up the first bed set up to catch the sun, like on a knob or like a like a knoll or something on the side of the mountain. So they can get the first sun in the morning as quick as possible. And then once they kind of warm up and they get too hot, they'll kind of actually get up and work their way up into like their final bedding location for the day. That's in more like thicker cover or something. So like you can get up on the tops and set up on that final bed. And then those bucks will be coming up around nine, 10 o'clock. They start showing up at the higher elevation. Really? So that's a good way to get them like that. Or you just got to, 
you got to, if you want to get them in the afternoon coming down, you got to pick the perfect conditions. You know, you got to pick like a, a low pressure day overcast when the thermals are dropping a little harder. So you can use kind of like the wind, your wind is blowing up towards them, but the thermals are pulling it down before it gets all the way up. You know, you got it or you get just in off wind. You, it, it's really difficult to, to do like, You'll you'll do a couple. Sometimes it'll take you a couple of years to figure out how to set up on a certain bed because of the way the wind channels and stuff. So it's it can get, it can get tricky, but mm-hmm. like they do, they want to drop down into these bottoms, like into the uh, the uh, the hubs, yeah, the hubs with the big hub scrapes and stuff. They want to drop down into that in the evening, but you can usually if you. If you work at it and really pay attention, you sit there for a couple hours, check it on different days with different winds or something, go in there and check it, throw milkweed around. You could kind of figure out how you got to, what, what's a good starting point to set up on it. Do the, do the bucks usually go down in the evenings? Is that how it yeah, works in they, the Yeah, they usually drop down to the river bottoms because on the bottoms are mountains. It's all between the mountains, it's just big, wide river bottoms usually. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you also get bedding down there with big bucks that are down there too. So you can get, it can be in different places. There's all sorts sure. of places. Yep. That's but, something I get, we get asked a lot about hill country is like, how, how do you hunt the bottoms? How do you hunt the, the you know, the thermal hubs? Um, have you figured that out? <laughs> you, you got any, any, any tips on hunting down low, Paul? In those hub scrapes or in down in the yeah. thermal area, you you, you gotta you gotta hold off and wait for a good day to do it. Yeah, you, you can't like if you're gonna just try to go in there when the wind's blowing over five ten miles an hour, you're kind of screwed. Like as soon as you get that higher velocity, then it starts swirling more and gets all screwy. But if you're if you're like like five five to ten miles an hour, it's usually you can be pretty consistent. And if you wait for like like a southern wind, it can be a lot smoother. So, like if you get a like when I killed my buck this year, we had a a store a cold front come in from the from the northwest. So you got some heavy winds blowing in, real cold snap. And then I waited till the tail end of that when it was going to start warming up, and then the winds shifted from the south and got a lot more consistent for me. So then I moved in on the south to get set up for that deer. And it was like the only way I could kill that deer was to do it that way. Yeah, that's a pretty good tip. I honestly didn't realize south winds were a little more consistent. Yeah, you because you usually get right right before a storm front, you just kind of get that lull in the yeah. winds, and then after it, you'll get that kind of lull where kind everything kind of steadies out. You know. Yeah. But like in in between, when it you get that kind of violent during the storm, it can be almost impossible to 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 work those kind of winds in those kind of bedding situations yep um something else i've seen you post before on the the beast um, about hubs is like hunting low instead of hunting high like hunting Mm -hmm. low in a tree i guess getting getting as low as you can i i i like to set up like because because most of these big bucks i'm killing are coming out of drainages you know, they're, they're living in the, in the drainages. Like, so what I'll do is I'll use that stream coming out of the drainage to get up and down and I'll stay right in the, in the water going up 
because all that is pulling down. You always get a, a vacuum down there into that drainage right at the brook. You know, so right where that water is going through, you get a vacuum sucking down. So if you can stay in that and then set up directly on it and not get too high above it that your wind is starting to get squirrely, you could kind of sit in that hole and everything kind of dumps underneath you. You know, so it's tough, though, because sometimes you'll be coming in and you'll be shooting uphill at the deer coming down at you. Hmm. But it's it's a lot of times it's what you got to do to get the wind right. Yeah. And then I, I, I always try to time time with the, uh, the thermals. So, like, if I get into a spot where I want to set up and I know that the thermals are going to drop at a certain time, I'll hold back and just wait. And then I'll, I'll wait until that thermal switches and make my final approach and slink up my tree that I need to get in. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's so hard for patience. Yeah, that's so hard for people to do to like, yeah. you know, be setting up an hour before dark, you know, or, you know, yeah. it's, not even, it's not even an hour. Sometimes, sometimes you're setting up half an hour, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Like I, I've been in the tree and literally as soon as I get my, my bow up and settle myself in, here comes the deer. You know, yeah. But it, it's the only way you can do it to get them when that, when that's in that situation. The only thing about that, like when I do that in hill country is, uh, you got to be a little patient too, even though you're kind of in a hurry because you get that intermittent at first, mm-hmm. but you, you'll feel it start to change, but it takes about five, 10 minutes, you know, maybe a little longer till it's consistent. Yep. When it starts to change. And what, what you can do, I was talking to Josh on this, you can go on Cal Topo, right? You go on the Cal yeah. Topo app on your, you can download it on your phone. And you can set uh, the uh, the uh, the sun exposure, and you can you can look at that sun exposure on a, a topographical map, and go back in half hour increments, and it'll show you when it's starting. The sun is starting to cast a shadow on that portion, and then when you see that shadow cast on Caltopo, it will get you a lot closer to when you need to be into that position to set up if you never hunted that spot before. That's where you young guys got me is with that, uh, all that, uh, technical stuff. Hey, Paul, if I pull this app up on my, uh, up on my computer, can you show me how to do it? Like it'll be up here on the screen. Yeah. I just think I, I was going to, I was going to talk about this. Like I want people to know about this app because this is so cool. I didn't know about this yeah, until you mentioned it. it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to share, I'm going to share my screen, everybody. And, and Paul's going to show us <laughs> how this works. I got it up here. It's called, it's called Cal Topo, right? Yep. All right, let me pull it up here. Uh, wait one second. I got to remove this. Just hang with me here for a minute, everybody. Yeah, Paul, you're on a small screen, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on like on the left. Yep. All right. Um, now, now for you to see these shadow changes, you're going to have to select an area with hills, like steep yeah, ridges. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to turn let's dark go, when it gets let's dark. go down here in uh eastern kentucky where nobody hunts and do that <laughs> or western somebody kentucky. hunts there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well me or you or paul don't very much uh let's see here all right we'll find some right down here it looks like a good hilly spot all there right what do go. i do now paul uh if you go on the right hand side you got the options on the, yep. the thing 
Yep, you have an icon that says sun exposure on there. I found it. Now, see the clock? The clock? Can, there's Where's like a clock. See how, it, see how it's yellow right now? Yeah. Now, zoom in on these hills. Are these big enough? Yeah. See how it's the, the shade is different colors? Yeah. That, like right that's here's your a... sun orientation. You can set the clock and the date so your sun orientation is right for any time of the year. Well, how do you I'm having a hard clock? time seeing a small screen. So Where's like, the clock? Yeah, I don't see the clock. Oh, here, this is a little better. You can see a little better now. Like this right here. Oh, yeah. How, yep. do, I, how do I change the, the clock, Paul? It should be on the right where it says sun exposure. It's hard for me to see. I'm on a cell phone, so I I almost need... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. See so I can, clock? I can, so I can set, set it to like November... You can, you can set the date for November, whatever, at, and then uh, see how you can adjust the times. Oh, nine a.m. Yep. So see, see, there's your shadows. So there's your rising thermals and your dropping thermals. The purples is dropping. The yellow is rising. Wow, that's a cool uh, tool. Yep. I didn't even so, know that existed. Yeah. So you either, can man. you can use that to orientate yourself on where you if you want to try to pinpoint where a buck is bedding and you going in blind you can pull that up and kind of use that to figure out maybe where he's setting up or how he's or where you got to set up in order to catch him you know yeah that's cool yeah that it changes cool. throughout the whole day yeah and it, i guess it knows which way the sun is in the sky yeah yeah you could set it like june june july august september you can set it to every one you know so and it'll change the way everything is yeah in august there's probably more sun out so it's less mm -hmm. uh, yep that's cool yep and it'll give you a morning thermal rises and you can set it up and you can do it for the afternoons too so you can always see where the dark parts on the mountain but that, okay. that's also beneficial if you're hunting, like, say, in November, and it's really hot out. You yep. can go into these spots that are shadowed longer in the day and start finding better activity sometimes. Sure. Because it's cooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the dark spots are your your uh, lowering thermals, and the, the light spots yep. would be. Yep. And if you look at these dark spots, you can see why I'm saying I see a lot of bucks on that north facing slope the eastern facing slope because they can just wrap right around without making big movements and get back into the shade yep. and you can download this is there's a phone app for this too huh yeah like I could, okay yeah, that's what i run it on a phone if that's right. if that's a mature forest like you're saying and you can find those shaded holes in there that are shaded for a large portion mm -hmm. of the day that's got to be great spots to hunt yep is that you get in there in November when there ain't no leaf cover and those deer are going to be going right to those shaded areas. Yep. Yep. And because yeah. of the, because it's always shaded, the moisture level in the soil is higher. So you get better vegetation growth on those spots. That makes sense. Sorry if anybody hunts uh, Earl knobs here, but we're going to look at that too. Yep. Yeah. So you can <laughs> see, you can see every North Northern phasing facing slope right there highlighted right out. Yeah. And then like I'll go through that on that map and I'll look at those shaded points and then I'll look at terrain features on each one that I would think that a big buck would want to use 
you know, and I'll pick the ones that look the best and I'll, I'll go and check those when I'm scouting and stuff. That makes complete sense. Yep. And then you can take that and transfer it over to, uh, if you have clear cuts and stuff like that, you can transfer it over to satellite images, look at your clear cuts, and you can line that all up with the hills, the terrain, and the, the uh, sun exposure, and you can really dial in right where you think a deer is going to be. Oh, this has public lands and everything else on it, too. You can add in there. Mm -hmm. uh, fire history, that could be pretty useful. Yep. And then you got the... Uh, you could set the elevation lines on it. I usually, I, I run it at 10 foot when I, I do got this you. stuff. Because then I can see all those little micro features that yeah. a buck is going to lay on. Oh, that makes sense. You know, he, um, want, he wants to get that little little high spot where he gets that advantage where he can see everything. So you can add, I can add a, um, I can add a satellite view onto this, overlay it. I believe you can. Oh, here, hybrid of it. Nope. Yep, you probably have to zoom in to see it better. This is just a hybrid mode. I don't know if that's something different or not. Yeah, if you zoom it, zoom way in, you'll be able to see it. It might be, uh, like, you can see the trees in here. Oh, okay, I see now. Yeah, I just because I have yep. too many la layers on probably, huh? You um, see good enough. You just have to look real close. Yeah. I wish yep. you could, like, t turn this down. Turn I the, think uh... he can. I think there's an adjustment for that, too. Okay. Huh. It's it's a pretty advanced mapping tool, so it's, oh my gosh, it takes, yeah, it takes me a while. To, it took me a while to figure it out. I'm still figuring it out. Right, there's looks like there's wind plot too on here, like yep. all kinds of different. Yeah, it can give you wind. It, it does all sorts of stuff. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I definitely. I'm glad you brought this up because I had it written down to to talk to you about this this map that you were talking about because I never heard of it. Yeah, because um, I'm so critical on thermals and stuff like that. Like that's, I live and die by that stuff in order yeah. to kill these deer, you know? Yeah. I, I can, I can say the last three bucks I killed, I killed using this. Really? Oh man. We I just sold the whole topo and I never knew it had all those advanced features. I just never really even looked. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, really Dan? Mm -hmm. So you, you knew yeah. this, this app then? Not the app. You, you used to be able to just go on keltapo.com or something like that, but. You can get onto Kill Topple. Yeah, and yeah. it's free to download onto your phone. It doesn't cost okay. anything. Gotcha. Yeah, looks like there's all kinds of cool stuff on here. Um, well, let's do this, Paul. You care if we like just like talk about uh, like we could just pick this area right here, um, and just like how you would plan out scouting it. If you can, yeah, can we you see try it? That. All right. It's, it's very small on my screen, so. Okay, I understand. <laughs> if you can't. Um, let's just say you're here at this button knob. I hope this is someone's <laughs> public land they hunt all the time. But how how would you go about it? Like, looks like there's a a, guy, a man trail right here. Um, I got it. I can't even see the elevation lines. Oh, no, you can't. This may not work then. But yeah. Anyway, we we don't have to do that. We can talk about something else. Um, you just tell us how you'd go about finding it if you're looking at your map. What would you be looking for? Well, I, I'd be looking for for like i i always i like to start on that those those northern faces where the, like this the shadow the shading is because mm. I, I i feel like a larger buck doesn't want to go very far when he shifts around in his beds and his core bedding area so when i can find a terrain feature where he can kind of go from the sun and wrap around like northern facing points stuff like that where he can kind of wrap that tip around and then 
orient into that. And then I, I like to try to find ones with with drainages going up into it so they get mm -hmm. multiple air flows. And I, I'm always looking for escape. Like they, they got to have a good good line of escape to get out of there in a situation like that. You know, and I, I, I always want to just find the most mixture of habitat I could possibly find in that area. You know, like yeah. you, you could look at you could look at a 10,000 acre area and literally there might be a dozen spots that you actually would want to even consider checking for a big block. Mm -hmm. Like based off of this kind of terrain and stuff like that. So are you going remote? You going for overlook near the road? You you looking for uh, places where there's no parking? What kind of areas in your I, uh, public are you? I, for? I do both. I mean, I I've shot my one buck in Pennsylvania. I killed him two and a half miles off the road, and then the buck I killed this year, I killed 150 yards off the road on a bluff that was over the top of the road. You know, everybody's driving past it. Nobody's going to walk up that cliff to go haunt and that's where that buck was bedding right there you know and then everybody like that deer was traveling from that bedding location with with the leeward with the or uh, the predominant wind in his face exiting the bed and walking over a mile and three quarters all the way out to some small ag fields on the river bottom but he's he instead of coming down the hill like all the other deer he was dropping down and then paralleling the road all the way out mm. you know because all the other hunters are going up the mountain a little ways up and then sitting on the heavy game trails come down where the does are going up and down the smaller bucks but he's just doing his own thing coming from the complete sideline which is why he lives at that age mm -hmm. yeah and that and that bed no matter if I kill a big buck out of it or not, it's going to have another big buck in it the following year. It's just one of those spots. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had that buck, that buck I killed out of it this year. He was, he was, I was hunting that deer for three years. You know, and then I finally connected with him this year, you know, but I, I tried hunting in the evenings for him several times. It just, I couldn't get the wind to cooperate with me because like, I knew I knew that deer was there, but I knew he was busting me every time I went in there. Like the, just, it was impossible the way the terrain ran through there. It was almost like these cuts in the hill, in the ridge, going straight up towards his bed. So like he he probably could smell me as soon as I I got out of the vehicle. You know, and if you tried to park down below him, he'd hear you hear you park because it's a gravel road. He'd hear you stop and he'd be gone. You know, so the only way I could set up to kill that deer was I came in in the pitch black in the morning and killed him, which I actually, I came in in the morning the day before on, because I, I knew where two of his beds were in that drainage. And I came in, I was going to go set up over that bed in the morning and I crested the hill and I met, met him at the bed at 50 yards and I couldn't, couldn't he blew him out and he ran up the mountain i'm like well that didn't work so i waited till the sun came up i went over there looked in his bed confirmed what he was doing and then i kind of looked right at his trail and just i'm like i'm just gonna figure it out i'm here i already blew it up so i just went right over there figured it out found his scrape line leading over to the other bed i'm like he's going right at the other bed i'm like i can set up in this drainage here where i can kill that deer and i literally 
plotted my my entryway to come up so i wasn't interfering with the way he was traveling and i i went wait right back in the following morning and set up on on that drainage which was about 100 yards between the two beds and i was sitting right up like right next to the creek but i was blowing my wind with a south wind i was going to blow my wind just off because he was coming down and then he was walking up the drainage like right up he came right up the brook in the morning when i shot him i shot him mm. i shot him right he came up the brook and then hopped on the bank and stood in front of me at a scrape 25 yards and i drilled him right there but i mean he he was smart enough that he was using that terrain and then after i killed that deer i realized where he crashed there was another guy's tree stand right up there so another guy had a stand in that location but if that guy ever tried to sit there in the morning that buck the way he was entering to go through that would have caught him every time with that drainage the way he ran it so it because the thermals in the morning drop pretty long right there in that spot because it's on the, the northern side mm -hmm. you know so it was just the perfect perfect setup for that deer to come in and out to never get killed he'd always wind you but i i found one little chink in the armor where i could do it and i set up and it worked yep <clears throat> that seems like how they all get killed is you just got to find there's there's not more than one chink usually in the armor and that's the yep. only way you can kill them that's the problem with like uh road trips a lot of times i'll find some real huge buck like that like the one by uh, your place last year josh I figured it out, but I'd already kind of tipped my hat, you know? Yeah. And you get in there and you, you move around too much, but if you have that stuff figured out and then you go back, mm -hmm. like the area real well, or you get lucky, you know, you go in there like he did and, and yeah. uh, you, you, you know, you run into the buck and you're like, okay, you went over there and you find that sign and figure out the setup, but then yep. you got to do it in your right away and kill the damn thing, you know? Because yep. because I discovered around me, I got so much pressure from hunters. Like I can't go to a spot and not find a camera in a tree mm -hmm. or a tree stand set up or something. So these deer just kind of get used to these people and they, they, they just oh, no. set up and they set up in places where they can watch what's going on. And they just, they get out of there when it, when it's, when there's somebody there, but it's, they'll come right back the following day. They go right back in there because it's the best spot, you know? So like, so, sometimes you can get pretty aggressive on them in those situations like that. And like, even if you blow it out, you could, if you just make a complete change and don't, don't set up exactly where he was. Like I knew, I figured since I went to that bed, I was going he wasn't going to go to that bed and lay down. He was going to go to the next bed down the line, you know, and that's exactly what he did. And that's why I, I ended up killing him, you know, kind of st stack the bedding area. Yep. <laughs> Almost in, in a sense, not on purpose, but, <laughs> but you, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta, think about how your scent is altering is going to alter what he's going to do so like you know i i shifted over but i knew that because of my my scent was there he's gonna he's gonna probably go this way to go over to the next spot or he might come in downwind of this and then check that so you kind of okay i have to come in this way so he doesn't catch my scent again in the same place because I, I think he could tell the difference between the day before and the day of you know yeah you know i've i've noticed over the years that uh when you bump younger deer like two or three year olds maybe even deer you want to shoot i mean they're big enough mm -hmm. deer but they're younger those deer are the ones that take off like crazy and those big yeah. ones 
they've got an area and you can't even really kick them out of there. They just no, get real smart about what they're doing. Yeah, they, they have their certain spots. And if he disappears from that spot, it's probably because he just disappears at that time of year to go a different place anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, I've heard you say, I think you, I think you probably get a little bit, um, people take it the wrong way, but I've heard you say a hundred times, like it's, it's easier to hunt a five or six year old than it is a three year old. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Think, yeah. But it people miss, that's the part that people don't understand. It's like, sure. Yeah. But it's near impossible to kill them. That's well, what think about that big buck I shot uh, two years ago. Yeah. I knew exactly where that thing lived for three years and I couldn't kill him. And he was always there. I yeah. couldn't kill him until yeah. I finally found that kink in the armor, like he's ta- like Paul's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just got to stick with it. And then I, I try to have multiple blocks to kill so that if I screw one up, I could just hop to the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I try to go into every season with at least a dozen blocks locally that I can shoot. Paul, how do you find that many? I walk a lot. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you run a lot of trail cameras? Uh, not really. Mostly, I, I go a lot by sign and then just big tracks and stuff like that. You know, yeah. I actually, I run my cameras. I'll put them in places that I want to shoot a deer from. Like, I'll stick them 20 feet up in the air in my tree that I want to shoot from. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave that camera there for the whole season and just see what kind of patterns evolve from that spot. You know, I don't, I don't physically go in and check cameras very often or anything during the season, you know, and if I do, I put a camera like next to the road on a trail where the deer cuts across the road, just so I can get a picture and see what the heck it is, you know, and then I'll just, I'll backtrack them in there and kill them without using the camera to like pick a spot, you know, yep. another place yep. you can put them. Like if you got a lot of hiking trails, put a camera right on the hiking trail. Then, then they got your they're used to human scent right there, and they go across it every day. It doesn't bother them. That's a good tip. Um, you guys have a lot of hiking hiking trails and stuff over there in the mountains. Yeah, quite a few. Is there? Yeah. And we got the Appalachian Trail cutting through too. So we got hundreds and hundreds of hikers going right. over that trail every day at certain times of the year. Yep. Um, Paul, we talked about, we talked about talking about a buck you, you killed. Um, is that the same one we kind of talked about earlier? Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I thought maybe, I thought maybe it was, but I I wanted to, to, to make sure it was, uh, it was that buck that is in the thumbnail of this video, everybody. Yep. Really nice. Uh, 12 pointer. Yeah. Um, I, I call him a 12. He had little slits on the brows. But yeah. I never shot a 12 until now. So I was like, yeah, I guess it's close yeah. enough. Yeah. 12 pointer. It's, it's legal for a point. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got one of those. It has, it's a 10, but it has a little splits. It's only yeah. like a 135 inch 12 pointer, but it's 12, it has 12 points on it. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's this, this buck was, he was one of those deer. He just wasn't a huge rack. Yeah. You know? He was a nice deer, but he's, he was 203 pounds dressed. He was just, the deer was a moose, you know. That's oh, a, yeah. I, I always knew when I when I picked his track up in that area, I always knew what deer it was because his foot was had to be four inches long. You know, you get this big long long toes and it's probably three and a half inches wide. It's like there's not that many deer with feet that big around here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
Yep. What is, uh, do you guys have a lot of real big deer? Like, like how often do you run across the Boone and Crockett deer in the area you're, you're hunting? Uh, not very often at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I maybe will find a deer over 160 inches every two or three years. Yeah. You know, I think our, I st- our state record's not even that big. I think the state record's like 100 and, I think 168 would put me in the top five. Really? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I've been fortunate enough. I killed one buck that's 150 inches. So that's like a top, top 20 deer for around here, you know? So. Huh. Yeah. So. I just was curious about that. If the, if the, the mountain supported big racks like that or they, not. It does. If they can make it to that age. Yeah. Because the problem, problem in New Jersey hunting, it's six bucks a year. You can shoot so, six bucks a year? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know year. that. Yeah, it's unlimited dose and six bucks a year. Huh. So it makes it really tough. You got, you got a higher chance of finding a big one in Pennsylvania where it's one yeah. buck a year. Yeah. But. Gosh, what I mean, a drastic difference from yeah. one state to the it, next. You if, know? They, if they didn't have so many buck harvests, I think you'd probably see these Boone and Crockett deer in New Jersey, too. Yeah. Because we had the sure. genetics. I, I mean, I see deer that can potentially get way up there or that are, you know, every every once in a while. But it's yeah. very few and far between to find a deer over three and a half years old around here. Yeah, right. Um, we got a whole bunch of questions coming in. You guys want to get to questions or Paul, do you get, Oh, I don't want to talk. I want to talk to you about Paul. Um, how's your trailer coming along? Oh, that's coming along. Great. <laughs> Dan, Paul bought a, uh, like a, uh, enclosed trailer, turning it into a hunting cabin. Nice. Yep. Nice. <laughs> You've threatened to do that a couple of times. Haven't you, Dan? A mobile one, right? Like a yep. camper. Yeah. I want, I've been wanting to do that bad. Just, I yeah. haven't done it, but I want, I want to do that. Yeah, it's pretty for the sweet. road trips. I just like to be able to just uh, park anywhere and sleep. Yeah, that's like a nice little enclosed trailer. Put a wood stove in it. Set of bunk beds. Just bare minimum. Trying to yeah. keep it as simple as possible. I might have to start taking Paul on road trips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, how big of a trailer is it, Paul? Like, what's the dimensions? It's a uh, six by twelve. That's perfect. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. I got I got the bunk bed in it, and then wood stove in the front. I'm gonna put an air conditioner in it, so I can do summer trips and stuff like that in it too. Not cook, and you know, if I want to go south, because I I plan on like I want to hunt. Everybody goes Midwest to go hunt, and I want to hunt down the eastern side. I want to go down the whole Appalachian mountain chain all the way down to Alabama. Right. Plan. I want to hunt all those states all the way down. You know, like like next year I'm planning on going to uh, West Virginia. I'm going to put that one, put that one in there. Hunt West Virginia, and then I go to Ohio every year in November. So yeah, but I, I want to try to keep going down. I'll hit Kentucky, Virginia, Carolinas. I want to I want to kill a mature buck in every state down the whole Appalachian mountain chain. That'd be cool. Yeah. Paul, do you care if I uh, share the pictures of your trailer on here real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, 
you've, if you guys follow Paul on Facebook, you've kind of been uh, throwing pictures of it up on Facebook, I think. But there's your beds and your little. Um, yeah, that's my daughter. Gotcha. Yep. Oh, you made your your made your bed out of aluminum. It looks like too, right? Yep. Yep. That's what I do for a living. So I do right. I weld dock frames. It's actually I built it out of dock frame. Oh, um, nice. And there's your you built the uh, wood stove too, didn't you? <laughs> yep. That's all scrap metal. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, a little wood stove in there, and yeah, I oh, shoot you made aluminum like fixtures and stuff for it. I made yeah everything. I, I put aluminum. everything in there is made out of aluminum. Yeah, I guess you about have to do with uh, to make to make it lighter. I guess you don't have to, but it's it'd be nice for it to be light. Um, that's pretty cool. Yep, and then I'm just gonna I'm gonna run one of those little little uh, like movable air conditioner units with the hose yeah that goes out the window and i'm going to set one of those inside and then run it run it a vent through the wall for the the hose to go out yeah and then i got a little i bought a little honda generator so i can run that thing on the little honda generator and then i'll put a chest freezer in it so i can fill it with deer meat and keep it frozen and keep hunting so i can go from if i shoot one in one state i'll just go right to the next state and start start my next adventure yep yeah because yep. I, I, I got i got pretty much all november off and then i get a lot of vacation days and stuff i save up for october oh, nice. and stuff like that yeah that's the only benefit you, you work for a dock company lakes freeze in the winter time so oh yeah i didn't think about I'm, that i'm seasonal so i go hunting <laughs> that's perfect job for a deer hunter yep there you go. We're gonna we're gonna flood the dock uh, building community or market with with deer hunters now. Right there, custom docks. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, oh, cool. Well, uh, you guys want to start answering some questions people have coming in here. Yeah. If you guys if you guys have any any questions, just leave them in the comments, and we'll we'll try to to get to them. Um, Dan, a lot of people. Kurt, thanks for the two dollar donation, man. He wants to see your new haircut, Dan. New haircut? Yeah. It's all fell out yesterday. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. I thought we were going to get to like early 2000s, Dan, with the, with the long flowing hair. Ah, I had to get the burdocks out of it. <laughs> all right. Like, Don't feel yeah. bad. My wife made me shave mine, too. <laughs> uh, I don't have enough to grow anymore. Um. All right, Caden had a question. Out, but you know, I'm starting to, you know, look in the mirror and thinking, yeah, you know what? I'm like almost sixty. I don't need the yeah. long hair and half <laughs> half silver. Uh, you guys have any strategies for scouting in the snow, Paul? I'm sure you guys get some snow up there. For snow, I, a lot of times I'll just kind of I'll go into general areas where I can pick up sign like. You don't have to start out like you could you could start out at nighttime sign where it's all congregated, you know, find a spot like that. And then you can pick up a big set of tracks from there and backtrack it out and figure out where he's coming from with the snow. Or like if I if I get snow, I look for signpost rubs a lot of times, big signpost rubs. That means usually a lot of bucks are crossing through that area. That's why you get that signpost rub. So I'll, I'll start checking signpost rubs looking for big big uh tracks and spots like that 
you know, and, yeah. or just general feeding areas at night or something, you know. Yep. And then if I'm drive when I drive in in the morning, I I'm checking every set of tracks across the road, you know. So do you have uh your your deer? A lot of them bedding in the same areas in winter as they do during the season. They, it it depends. Some some places they do depending on the habitat, but sometimes with these big forests, they, there's not as mu- as enough food for them up in there. So they'll come out of them in the winter and go to a different area, and they'll they'll pretty much yard. You know, they don't make they like in New Jersey around here and like southern Pens- southeastern Pennsylvania and stuff. They don't generally go as far as like the way up north but they still do completely shift and they'll yard up. So they, they might move two or three miles sometimes into a wintering area. And then a lot of times in the summer, they'll do that too. They'll, they'll, you won't get a big buck on camera in the mountains until October and they'll be out in the ag fields and stuff way off. I mean, the, the one big buck I was hunting the one year, he was traveling almost nine miles from where I was seeing him in the ag fields and going back in where he was living in the mountains, mm-hmm. you know, so you'd never see that deer at all. If you were trying to hunt them where you saw them in the summer, you know, but yep. usually that's what you get this little back and forth rotation. You know. Those are good tips for, uh, snow scouting though. In the snow, you guys up in Wisconsin, I've seen you get frustrated with the snow. <laughs> <laughs> but it never stops. Like the skid melt. Really, you only got so many weekends to scout. And, and I know. It's so much better when the snow's off the ground. You're just sitting here. Would you leave already? And then all yeah, of a sudden yeah. the snow melts and it's turkey season and then it's green out and you didn't get anything done. No. Yeah. I don't even use snow to track deer like that. I do it without the snow. Yeah. yeah. You pick it, you go out and you go out after a rain or something when it's soil's nice and moist and the leaves will hold a print and stuff and you can pick up a big set of buck tracks crossing the road or something like that if you check the trails and you could you'd be surprised how far you could follow a deer like that if you take your time and learn it you know because you, you, you could, bones it leaves a mark yeah yeah and that, that's that's how i killed the one one uh big six and a half year old buck uh two years ago a big 140 tent pointer. I I picked up his tracks and tracked him on bare ground for I think probably a mile and a half. And then I started seeing like what I I felt like was going to be where he was going to be betting. And I I set up on him from there. But I I literally followed that deer from where he was in the nighttime all the way up to there to figure him out. Where was he betting at, Paul? Or how- he was what he was bedded off? up on a big bull, up on the top of the mountain. Same same thing. It was another northern facing slope again, but big bull kind of same situation. But this one set up perfectly for an afternoon hunt because there's a uh, there there there's a bunch of like swamps on the top of the mountain because that that's something unique that we get in our hills around here is we get swamps on the tops of the mountains sometimes. Well, that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Because yeah. some some of our mountains will be a mile or two wide on top, mm-hmm. you know, so you can get all sorts of swamps up there. It, it, they're usually just big spring-fed swamps, you know, and they're usually choke full of rhododendron and laurel and stuff like that. 
Yeah, hmm. but this setup so perfect. It was just like a bowl that kind of like filtered across the whole top of the mountain, and then there was this big like hog back on the uh, the leeward side. You know, and it was like it, it just set up so perfect for this deer. He had this like he had the, this beautiful bedding situation where he could work on that hog back on different portions over there, and then drop down and work that bowl. And it, it's Perfect, perfect habitat situation. I mean, there's tons of ferns growing in there that you could dig fern roots and stuff. It's just absolutely phenomenal spot. What's real, a hog? Real good oaks. What's a hogback? Like a just like a real sharp razor sharp ridge. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was just kind of like butted up to the back side of the, the top side of the bowl. So he he actually would bed right on that high point. And he could see everything. He was mm-hmm. bedding right on the top. Yeah, and that's that's something they I see periodically around here. You'll you'll see a big buck will just like king of the mountain get on this vantage point where he could just see everything coming. You know, it was one of those situations. I tracked that buck in, and I saw. I look. I'm looking at the top of the map, and I see that terrain feature up there. And I, I instantly stop. I have a big scrape in front of me. I just instantly stop and set up. I'm like, if I go any farther, that deer's up there. He's going to see me, you know. And then right at dark, like like probably half hour before dark, I hear him stand up and come off of that. And it, he was only about 175 yards from me. But he, I just stopped in time that he, he couldn't see me. If I rounded the corner at all, I would have been done. But it was one of the, it was perfect situation where I had, my wind was almost blowing at him, but then I had that big swamp to my side and that swamp was drawing my thermal and my scent down into that water on the swamp on top. So I just had this like perfect where it was just kind of sucking it in and getting it out of there. Because if I go any, that's another thing. If I went any farther forward, I would have been into that rim of the bowl that he was bedding the bedding above and my my wind would have been swirling in that bowl and it would have caught up to him eventually you know yeah. so it's just like the perfect situation to stop and get set up and I, I saw that and i put myself right up against the water and then he came in i shot him at like 30 yards you yeah. bring up a good point with that hunt you, you know when you talk about you saw that track and followed it back for a mile mm-hmm. um it reminds me of like uh, Josh's hunt uh, this last fall in Wisconsin when, uh, you know, we saw Buck cross the road and he took a gamble, went in after it the next day and, and uh, ended up getting it. And I think back on a lot of my hunts, a lot of times it's it's the, um, the willingness to take chances or try crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just too conservative where they look at a situation like that and they say, well, what are the chances I could find this buck? What are the chances he's yeah. coming up? Well, you know, what are, what are the odds? And then they go and they do the same thing they've been doing day after day after day that's not successful. But yep. I think that uh, taking chances and just jumping on a track like that is what kills those things. I mean, it probably don't work most of the time, but it works enough of the time and pays off so big when it does work. Yeah. It's I, I've killed three like that in the past four years, mm-hmm. tracking them, backtracking them like that. But yeah, yet the majority of your hunts are probably not doing that. 
Yeah. But yet you killed a bunch doing that. Yeah. Which shows I, that, that uh, you know, outside of the box thinking is what's killing them. Yeah, I, I honestly don't spend a lot of time in the tree. I can hunt every day, but I spend most of my time scouting. Yep. I'm walking. I'm always walking and checking spots and like that's I I'll, I'll walk right into something and then I I always scout with my stand right on my back. You know, everything ready to go. And then if I find it and I'll I'll, I'll set up on, on up on it right there and then or if I feel like I got to come in there in the morning or something, I'll have a game plan to come in in the morning, you know, I'll continue scouting it or something, but I always I'm always thinking trying to think a couple steps ahead on these things and how am I going to make a, a calculated move on something like that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Some people, uh, you know, a lot of deer hunters, they get paralyzed by like, this is how I'm supposed to do something, you know, right. like yeah. they get paralyzed. I got to set up in this tree stand. Oh, I've seen that buck three times down there now, but I got to sit here because this is where I sit or whatever the case yeah. may be. I, Paul, you, I think I, you gotta, you gotta, uh, get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And don't be afraid to jump them. I I bust them out all the time. I've, I've busted them out and came back and killed them the following day several times now. Yeah. Yep. I just, you, now it, it's almost the best thing in the world when you spook them because then now you know where he is. You know, it's like, okay, now I know exactly where you live. Now you got a yep. problem because now I can <laughs> yes. come in there and I can figure, figure you out. Like you, you blew them out, go figure them out right there and then. And then make a game plan. And a lot of times you can catch them coming right back in the morning like that. You know? Yep. Oh, yeah. Finding one is like half the battle. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, man, I found one. Now it's game on. Right. You just can't make it. Usually can't make that mistake more than, yeah. more than once, you know. That's that's the good thing about where I live. Like, I don't have a lot of big bucks to hunt. But because of that when I find one, it's a pretty noticeable difference. Like when you look at the set of tracks on them and stuff, you're like, yeah, well, obviously this is a five and a half year old deer. You know, it's like this deer has to be over 200 pounds. You know, all the other deer got these little tiny feet and this thing's got this huge set of cow track, like yeah. cow tracks on them, you know? Yep. So it almost makes it easier. Like I, I actually prefer going to places when I plan trips and stuff that are lower deer densities because I feel like it's easier to hunt these deer when you're not get, trying to sort through all this crap. You know, you don't have all this sign you got to sort through. Yeah. Yep. Like elk hunting or deer hunting in elk country in, in uh, Michigan, Dan. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. sign everywhere. <laughs> that was really hard to differentiate uh, deer sign from elk sign. Yeah, yeah you see that in the Adirondacks, you got the moose sign, but oh, that, that's yeah. usually pretty easy because I mean the moose is like nine feet tall, so right, right. His his rubs are a little bit taller than normal. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. All right, uh, let's see here. Adam asked us if we see paved roads funneling deer movement much, like even lesser traveled roads, county roads. Um, I'm guess he's comparing to non-paved roads. I, I almost feel like roads are like rivers sometimes. I I feel like I I feel like bucks want to travel parallel with parallel to them. Yeah, they parallel them because it, yeah, it it seems like it's just like an over overlooked place. Like not many people are going to set up with cars driving past them like that. You know, 
And like you, you look up in the woods and you don't think he could see a deer, but like he can he can freeze and hide behind a bush or something when the cars come and let you go past. Yeah. But yeah. that's a good way to look at roads. I've never yeah. never thought about it like that, but like I, I um, always try to look if you got a a road where there's a big guardrail on it or something, or like a big bluff and a guardrail, so there's no place you can pull over and park. You know, that's a good place to go check. Because yeah. nobody's going nobody is driving past that, parking, walking back and checking stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Or you get like an intersection in a road like a Y, a sharp Y or something, I'll check that in inside bend in that road. Yeah. And you're, you're almost, you're, you, you kind of think of it like, like it's like a oxbow in a river, you know, how a deer lay in an oxbow, you find a sharp bend in a road like that. Sometimes you can find a big buck hide in a stupid spot like that. There you go. You know, it's like an oxbow, but it's a paved oxbow. Paved water. And, and remember that spot I found in a, Fort McCoy that was at that, that intersection there. Mm-hmm. And we had that picture of a great big buck right there. Uh, he was just on the inside, like what you kind of like you're describing. Yeah. Every time we went by that spot, we were like, this looks good. And yeah, we got in there and uh, got right on one. I mean, but that yeah. was the same thing is exactly what he's describing. Yeah. I was thinking about that spot while he was saying it. Oh, yeah. really? Me too. That's uh, yeah. what's funny about that. It, the end of that story is, uh, Dan went back there like a month later to hunt and they had like bush hog that whole thing. Like the yeah, whole, yeah. Yeah. I go they, back they in there and it was clear cut right to the ground. Yeah. yeah not bush hog. Yeah. They took a, the heavy equipment in there and clear cut. Yeah. I, I would have been like, you're dropping me off here at, at in the dark in the morning. I'll be sitting yeah. right in this corner waiting yeah. wait for that deer to come slipping back. Yeah. Cause he's yeah, probably that- out. He's probably parallel on the road coming all the way in from some other place where all the does are at or something. And he's just following that road line in and whoop, gets in that little nook and sits there. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, there was a creek in there. There was just, it was nasty thick. It was just a really good area for a buck to live and hide right next to the road. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, uh, Pineland Bowhunter, for the, the donation. He's asking us. If he said he's still seeing, he's in New Jersey or South Jersey, Paul. Mm-hmm. He's uh said he saw a 125 inch deer holding both sides this uh, today, and was wondering if we're yeah. still seeing that this year. They're, they're holding late this year. Yep. Yeah, yep. it was so mild this whole season up until now. Like now with this weather coming in, I think they're going to start dropping pretty soon. Yep. But this I, is uh, like one of those years they drop. They hold until the, they're about ready to push their velvet out. I think. Yeah. You know? I, I checked Jeff the camera the other day, and he said he's seeing them with antlers yet too. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I checked. I checked an SD card today, and I had probably a hundred and thirty inch, uh, really nice nine pointer still holding both sides, and a yeah. bunch of other ones too, a bunch of other small ones. Yeah, that's. I um, I only found seven sheds this year so far, you know, and I usually I'm usually up to almost thirty sheds by now. Oh really? I I find tons of sheds. I I love shed hunting, you know. But like this year, they're not dropping at all. Yeah. I actually I saw a big buck three weeks ago down the road for me chasing does in a field. You got so, any uh, shed hunting tips? That's a lot of sheds. Fine. In a year. Yeah, a lot of work finding them. <laughs> yeah, that's what people usually. I find a bunch of but sheds too, Paul. People I, always I ask usually, me. 
I usually pick them up out of the beds when I'm scouting. That's yeah, what I'm doing like because I, I got like if you looked at my Onyx, you wouldn't be able to see the map. There's so many stupid waypoints on it from buck beds over the years and stuff like that. And I, I adjust them and change change the waypoints and stuff like that constantly. So, but I'll, I try to go through after the season and go through and check all my spots over again. Because there's some spots that might not have deer in them for like two or three years. It won't be a big buck in there. But if I keep on going back to it, I know that big buck's going to show up again in that area. And when he is, I know exactly where to go again. Yeah. So I always yep. check them over. And then I'm, I'm picking up a lot of little, like, two-and-a-half-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old sheds and stuff. You know, a lot, a lot of little guys. Yeah. But I, I like to keep track of them because, like, if I see a deer with good genetics on them, like it's hard to get big rack deer around here sometimes. So it's like, if I see really good genetics, I, I'm going to pursue that, you know, cause I, it's my opportunity to shoot something really big, you know, and it, I, it's, it's helped me in the past. I mean, that the one fifty I shot, I, I hunted that deer for three years, but I, I collected his sheds every year. I actually picked up another set of his sheds this year out of one of the spots he was bedding in. I, I finally found them this year from that deer. So, And I, I, I shot that deer in 2020. I found his last set of sheds from 2019. But they weren't even chewed, which was amazing. So it's pretty yeah. cool. I got them hanging with the deer now. You know, but they're just old bleached out sheds. Yeah, that's awesome. People always ask me about like shed hunting and because I find a bunch of them. I was like, I just go more than everybody else's. I find them all, you know. I yeah. go a lot. Or I spend you a lot of time in the woods. An eye for it. I spend time in the woods to find them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you can. There's definitely hours, like. Uh, when you shed hunt, how many hours per shed do you? Do you, do you I, I go by miles. It's I usually go about six or eight miles per shed. Oh, dang. That's almost exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I was gonna say six. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I walked I walked six point three today, and I found I don't know, I found two, but they're together, yeah. you know. Um, this is off the same buck. Uh, so yeah, that's that's it. They're almost they're almost always within like a hundred yards of like a core bed that he's using in the winter or something. Yeah, you know, you'll 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 know when you're getting to it because you'll like just start seeing mountains of poopies all over yeah. you know? <laughs> there's oh. just just thousands of pellets in one spot but it's tough like because of the mild winters too and they drop they're just they're not like hunkered down they don't have to hunker down like they have to on bad yeah. years so it makes it a lot more difficult like somebody's like these big bucks like instead of like going to ag and stuff when it gets bad they'll just sit they'll just sit tight and hold up in the mountains by themselves Mm. you know and they'll just deal with it it's conserved that, energy. like you'll get them on camera in the spring and they're like skin and bones mm. you know but they they just refuse to get out of their place you know all the other deer might vacate the area and the big bucks stay in place you know and you, you see that a lot up north too in like like the adirondacks and stuff like all the deer will leave leave and go to the yards and the biggest oldest bucks stay right where they are you know, they'll just drop down and find a little spot to hide. A lot of times they'll like, they'll find the moose 
and they'll stay with the moose in the winter t- winter time instead of doing the migrations. Hmm. They'll, just, they'll just stay up there because the moose will pu- push down all the snow, you know, because there'll be like nine, ten feet of snow up in the Adirondacks. Yeah. You know, so they'll just let the moose pack it down, you know, and as, as the snow pack builds up, they just kind of, because they can walk on the top of the snow, it gets so packed. So they'll they'll just kind of feed up the trees. You can see where they're feeding higher and higher. They'll 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 be browse lines 10, 12 feet off the ground from deer. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh thank God I don't have to worry about 10 feet of snow here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not getting like that anymore though. It's getting more mild. Yeah. Every year. So which is a good thing because it those deer up there aren't getting so many winter kills, so the herds are coming back. Yeah. Right. You, you get a bad winter up there, it wipes them out. Yeah. All right. My mom and dad gave me a donation for my birthday. So thanks, mom and dad. I'm 32 tomorrow. So you got $32 for being 32? Yep. Getting older. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, people were asked, telling the to screenshot my my hunting ground they, they assumed i was showing you my my hunting ground there on cow topo <laughs> uh that's funny that's it oh, i'm behind on questions we got a whole bunch of them here oh boy i got a bunch of birthday wishes that's why i'm having trouble finding uh questions <laughs> Thanks for all the birthday wishes, everybody. Um, I appreciate it. Oh, here, we can uh, do some call-ins, too, tonight. I'll copy that and put it in the description. If you guys want to want to call in, just um, go to follow the link. Make sure you're in an appropriate place because you'll be live on the, on the show here and watch the uh, four-letter words. Um, why... Is there is, does PA have a break between archery and rifle? He's asking I don't know. Both. Okay, <laughs> I, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I'll say. They don't, they don't like, because because they have all these breaks between the seasons and stuff. Like after rifle, there's a break for like a couple weeks in December till winter bow opens back up and stuff. Which I can't complain about it because it kind of gives the deer a chance to settle down. Yeah. You know, they kind of get back into their routines and takes the pressure off them. It, it helps them a lot. It's beneficial for the deer, but it does suck that. Like, I, I always have some nice bucks on camera and stuff that were running that time of year in that during that period. Because it's like the last last week in November. You know, that's when all the big bucks come out and start cruising. You know? Yeah. So it does kind of suck that they do it, but at the same time, it saves a lot of big bucks. Right. We used to always have a, or we still do have a gap between rifle season and muzzleloader season. There's always a week there where mm-hmm. um, they gave the deer kind of a break. Um, let's see here. Denny asked if we're going to be in Ohio this week. And yes, we'll be there. Denny, me and Dan will be there. Um, we got to call. Not showing up. I was thinking about showing up. But, oh, you know, yeah. Probably be a good thing. Yes, it would be. All right. We got a call in here. What's up, guys? Hey, Jacob. Hey. Hey, Paul. Um, I know we talked a few times this past season. Um, and one of the things that we talked about 
um, was your method of scouting, going and tracking down deer, especially right after rains. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about if you didn't really know what a deer was doing or where it was bedding in that area, you would go in after a rain and follow when the ground is soft, his tracks right up to his bed, kind yep. of plan that out. Um, I thought it was really cool, so I don't know if you wanted to to outline that at all. Well, I, I, I'll go if I can't figure a deer out, like I'll, I'll physically just take, take the opportunity. I'll go in there. Like, even if I, I bust them out, I bust them out, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do to get that last little piece of the puzzle, you know, when you're, and then like, I'll, I'll just go in and do it that way. And then sometimes it works out and you can kill them that year. Like the one, the one buck I killed three days later after I did that. But sometimes it takes, takes the, the following year to actually kill the deer when it, like it's, it's a gamble. You're, you're putting pressure on them. But at the same time, if it's a really big buck, it's probably not going anywhere, you know? So. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. I got a little more aggressive on deer this year. I actually yeah. followed that tactic and then replaced the camera. And I got like 200 pictures of like the number two buck. I was really, really chasing this season doing that and um it really does take bumping up a lot of times like you look at yeah. all sorts of guys like josh who did it this season and and uh, jake bush when he killed that one really big breakout buck that was 180 something inches you know he bumped that deer before he did just waited for that same wind and killed him on the first shot and like yeah it's something i feel like i need to gain the confidence to do a little more to get aggressive like that yeah because when you're scouting a lot of times you can't even see the beds like in hill country, it just you gotta you kind of get a feel for it, and you're like look at a spot and you're like, that's where the buck should be laying, but you you don't really, you don't know. You just kind of gotta take it, trust your gut on it. That's where he actually is a lot of times. So physically bumping him in that situation really kind of lays it out for you. And you're all right. I am. I was right. Now I, I confirm myself. You know, you get that confidence booster, and then you're gonna be able to go in there and hunt them a lot harder. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, I'll see you guys, Josh and Dan, this weekend. All right. All right. Show up on see, see you this weekend. Yep. See you Saturday. See you man. guys. Happy early birthday, Josh. Hey, thanks, man. Bye, Jacob. All right. Bob, thanks for the, the birthday donation, man. All right. Paul, we got through all the questions, I think. Um, thanks for getting on, man. Yeah. No problem. It is awesome. We'll have to have you like on again sometime. Yeah, they're fun. Everybody, uh, thanks for getting on tonight. Make sure you hit that like button for you. Leave and give us a subscribe if you haven't yet. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Yep.